welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome to season six of one of our longest running series here at Game Changers Radio. I am Bonnie, happy to be here. And this is season six, episode nine, in case you're keeping track. I have a buzz quote from a gentleman named Stephen M. Lois from the Forbes Council member. He posted on Forbes.com January 3rd of this year, 2020. Listen up. This is an important quote, and this will set us up for a really great topic today. He said, when I got started in sales... I would create scripts based on what I heard from the best sales reps around me. But every sales rep I tried to copy was doing something different. I then tried to morph all their unique pitches into one blended script. I couldn't close a deal to save my life for the first 18 months. And then something clicked. I said, forget it to the scripts. And my revenue skyrocketed. I learned how to read a conversation, understand tone and intonation, and ultimately how to build genuine relationships with my prospects. I stopped trying to automate what needs to be personal. Found that quote very, very interesting. So let's do a reality check here. Many sales leaders today are getting mm, lazy, believe it or not, hard to believe, and resorting back to scripts. How bad is this? Well, according to HubSpot data, the computer software industry converts only 22% of opportunities into deals. Not a good percent. Do the math. So talking to our listeners around the world, is 78% of your sales team's time actually a financial waste to your company and to their bottom line? Well, looks like it. What's the cure? Nonstop coaching, optimized content, authentic insight, real people, and no scripts. We are going to ask, we have two guests here today. We have Juliana Stan Campiano at Oxygen. She'll tell us about her company. Hasn't been on a long time, Juliana. We miss <laughs> you. And we have Mike Orr at Grapevine 6. And we're going to ask them for their insights on our topic. Hope nobody gets offended. Lazy leaders use scripts. Strategies, ah, today, strategies to better sales enablement. Shout out to Kirsten Boylow at SAP for sponsoring this series. And AJ, who puts these shows together. Thank you so much. So let's go around the table. I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Take about three minutes. Juliana, welcome back been way too long since we've spoken to you and julie oh my goodness and we have a third panelist just joined us and he's going to unmute in a second juliana stan campiano want you introduce yourself to our audience and tell them what you do and what's your passion for this topic juliana welcome yeah thanks so much bonnie it's great to be back it has been a while i think uh, pre-pandemic so many things have changed since then um i run a company called oxygen we do three major things. We do consulting within the sales enablement and learning and development space. We create experiences uh, for people to go through to hopefully not sound like they're reading from a script and to understand all those other great things that uh, the quote that you talked about went through. And then we create the digital design in order for people to consume information with so much noise out there today. It's hard to find what it is that you're looking for as a seller. Uh, I also sit on the board of directors for the Sales Enablement Society. Sales enablement is a, a large part of what we do at Oxygen and something that 
I've been passionate about for a very long time. And I think what's interesting as well as in part getting into it is that for a very long time, there's been no sales education, which is I think in part what your quote talked about for mm-hmm. sellers or sales managers for, you know, leadership for that matter. And there are academic programs that are now popping up all around the world. But uh, the other interesting thing is that over half of our population is in sales. And so I'm very passionate about the topic that we're going to talk about today. And especially from that leadership and manager perspective, because of those things, you know, that I just talked about. So it's great to be back. Thank you, Juliana. Pleasure to have you back. And we're going to welcome our second panelist. He was a little late, but we're thrilled he's here, Julio Viscovich. It's so wonderful to see you. Julio, why don't you take about two and a half minutes and remind everybody who you are and what you do and what's your passion for the topic, and then we'll move on. Go ahead, Julio. Welcome. Yes, wonderful uh, to see you again, Bonnie, for sure. It's uh been uh, certainly been a while. It's been a change uh, going through COVID, um, going through work, and um, obviously dealing with clients. So, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Julio Viscovich. I am just uh, from outside Vancouver, Canada, and I own and run a company called Next Level Sales. And Next Level Sales is a sales training company who works with B two B sales organizations. Uh, that uh, essentially works with technology, training, uh, sales process, and ultimately looks at bringing companies into the future by innovating their sales process and making sure that they're ahead of the game. And I like to say giving them what I call an unfair advantage. Thank you very much. We're very happy to have you, Julio. It's been a long time since we've connected, and we're we're thrilled to have you. I like that. I wish people could see my wonderful panelists. We're on Zoom, and we are now have visual nuances, as I like to call them. I get to see how they think and how they talk. Interesting watching people talk. Some people talk with their heads. Some people talk with their hands. Some people like to walk around. Julio, I love your hair. I have to say that. It's, it's just you, your, your hair is taller than mine. I like your hair a lot. Julio, thank you for joining us. Let's go around the table. Mike Orr is with us from Grapevine 6. Mike, you're up. Please, in case there there are 2.3 people around the world who don't remember who you are. This is the time to remind them. Go ahead, Mike. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I'm the uh, one of the co-founders of Grapevine 6. I'm currently the CEO. Um, Grapevine 6 really tries to deliver on, on that quote of taking out the automation and bringing in the authenticity to sales relationships. Um, we enable social selling programs by providing relevant content from third-party sources that's really matched to your personal brand. So recognizing that every seller, every sales relationship is different. And to represent that and to engage your buyers, you need different content. Um, A lot of the approaches that uh, were in the past, the platforms that were available, were very automated. They would simply give you the corporate content to push out to your audience on social and digital channels. And the challenge with that was everyone looked the same. There was no real authentic engagement. Um, and no real way to differentiate between uh, between the different salespeople and advisors that were trying to build those relationships. So we make that simple in, a, in an app that um, salespeople and uh, financial advisors, anybody really managing relationships, can use to engage in social. 
Thank you very much. Pleasure to have all three of you back. And just so you know, when you're speaking, I put you in speaker view so you're full screen. So everybody smile. There you go. We're not broadcasting video live, only audio, but I will send the video download link to all of you and you're welcome to use it. Now it's the part of the show where I've asked my panelists to send me a quote that has nothing to do with the topic from a book, a movie, a song, a person famous, not so famous, a person who's going to be famous because they're here on our show. (laughs) And I'm going to ask them to explain how the quote relates to our topic in their own words. So Juliana, you're up first. And Juliana sent us a quote from former U.S. First Lady Michelle Obama, who was, I call her a young lady born in 1964, American attorney and author, First Lady of the U.S. from 2009 to 17, married to Barack Obama, the 44th president of the U.S. And she was the first African-American First Lady in this country. And here is the lovely quote Julianne has selected. History has shown us that courage can be contagious and hope can take on a life of its own. Oh, I'm getting chills, Juliana. How does this quote have to, what does it have to do with education for sales enablement? Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I think it's fascinating. And we've talked about this a lot as a company lately, but courage, I think, is is a huge aspect of us moving forward. And to the point of the authenticity and figuring things out and trying something maybe that's different than what other people are doing is something that I think that we all need to be doing. Um, And that can be hard. It can be hard to break the mold and to do something different than what other people are doing because you're putting yourself out there. And so that, that quote really resonated with me, especially for where we're at right now and what we're asking people to do. I think that courage is kind of at the baseline of how we're going to make it through this and come out on the other side. And so that, that quote really resonated with me when I thought about this topic. Thank you, Julianne. A question for you. Do you think that we're talking about salespeople reverting to the old script method? Do you think because of COVID, there's a discouragement of, of how are you going to be authentic to people when people who you're trying to sell to, we're talking B2B mostly here, when their reference point is my business is doing well, my customers have issues, some of them are parents, their businesses are closed, or they don't have jobs, or they're teaching their kids from home. Do you think there's this thing about maybe we really should go back to a script because the script is safe? and it sounded so good? Or do you think there's this this mentality that they really want me to connect on a human-to-human level and now's the time to put away the script and really step up and be a person they can relate to? What's your thought on that, Juliana? Yeah, well, definitely going to err on the side of, you know, authenticity is going to win every time. Uh, and scripts are not. Even if we're in a good economy or in, and everything's going great, I still think scripts don't work uh, in, in many different settings. And, and so, yeah, I would say, especially right now, people want to hear from other people. They don't want to hear from somebody just selling to them. And at the same time, I think it feels um, difficult right now to know what to say to somebody. And I think that's why you get a lot of people resorting back to, yes. you know, a script of, of sorts. Thank you. Perfect point. Thank you very much. That's what I was looking for. Julio, you're up next. Julio sent us a quote from the great Zig Ziglar. His full name was Hillary Hinton Zig, nickname Ziglar, 1926 to 2012 American author, salesman, motivational speaker. Interestingly enough, he was born prematurely in Coffee County, Alabama, and he was the 10th of 12 children and the youngest boy, and he ended up becoming one of the icons of motivational speaking. Uh, on and I, if somebody doesn't know who he is, just look at 
of Z-I-Z, Zig, Ziglar, Z-I-G-L-A-R. He founded the Zigmanship Institute, known as Ziglar, Inc. He only wrote about 30 books. He was a little busy. And his first book, See You at the Top, was rejected 39 times. There's an encouragement for first-time authors before it was published in 1975, and it is still in print. We'll leave it there. Here's the quote Julio has selected. You don't have to be great to start but you have to start to be great. Ooh, I'm getting chills on that one too. Julio, how did you find this wonderful quote? Talk to me. <laughs> well, you stole a little of my thunder, Bonnie, because uh, at the end of the day, it is about, you know, you are going to have failures. Um, and as salespeople and as anybody, regardless of what your job is, um, you're going to step outside of your comfort zone. You're going to have to do things differently. So it's going to tell you that, hey, the first time, the second time, the third time, or as you mentioned, the 39th time, uh, you, might, you may not be successful on publishing your book or you might not be successful on that sales call. But the more you practice, the more you put your heart into it, the more you actually try. You don't have to be great to begin with, but you will be great if you put in the effort. And I think that's something that everybody should live by, whether, that's, uh, whether you're a parent, whether you're a salesperson, or whether you are a taxi driver. And I think that quote just stands strong no matter who you are. It really does. I think there's a famous Walt Disney quote similar to that, uh, to get something, uh, something to, to, to do something you have to stop talking and start doing, right? You have to start. Start is, is the key verb in there. Thank you, Julio. We love that quote. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting quote in these times about just getting back to what we know is the right thing to do and doing it and being there. We're talking about being authentic with Juliana. Let's move around the table. Mike Orris sent us a quote from uh, Albus Dumbledore from J.K. Rowling. Albus Percival Wolfric Bryan. How'd you get Bryan in there? Dumbledore. Fictional character, thank goodness, in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. For most of the series, he's the headmaster of the wizarding school Hogwarts. As part of his backstory, it's revealed he's the founder and leader of the Order of the Phoenix, an organization dedicated to fighting Lord Voldemort, the main antagonist of the series. And uh, I'm, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder on this, Mike Orr, but Rowling said she chose the name Dumbledore, which is a dialectical word for bumblebee because of Dumbledore's love of music. She imagined him walking around hmm, humming to himself a lot. Here's the quote. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. Ooh, Mike Orr, that's a heavy-duty quote. Talk to me. How'd you pick this one? Well, I, I actually just rewatched a bunch of the movies. Um, I was looking for a little escape, a little fantasy, and uh, it's a good it's a good outlet in, in stressful times. Um, and uh, it just struck me when when I heard that uh, the said the other day that we, we often, a, a lot of our uh, technology is very almost magical. Uh, there's a lot of AI and a lot of, you know, complex inner workings that, uh, that are tough to understand. And then that's one way of looking at magic. But I think people sort of underestimate uh, the power of, of words and how, and communication really that they deliver and the ability to create empathy and to understand other people and build connection. And that is the, is the, you know, the magic that can be done in, in sales and, and probably a good idea why you don't want to stick to the script um, because it's in that uh, in that magic that you can create that you can really build long-term relationships um, and deliver value. And, and that's, I think, what everybody's trying to do. So I thought that was fun. 
Thank you very much. It was fun. It is fun. And we love movie and song quotes, but we also love, we were happy to have Zig Ziglar come back on the show. Julio, it's been a long time. <laughs> and Michelle Obama is always more than welcome, Juliana. So thank you for that. Now is the part of the show where we're going to dive in very seriously to our topic today. And if you're just joining us, this is Digital Selling, Radio Changing the Game, Season 6, Episode 9. And our topic officially is Lazy Leaders Use Scripts, Strategies for Better Sales enablement. And that's what we're talking about with my three panelists, Juliana Stancampiano, Julio Viscovich, and Mike Or Mike, your name should be changed to a J. We need you to be a J because I'm sorry, I'm only teasing. So let's go to the roundtable statements. Here's how it's going to work. I will read. We're going to start with Juliana's number one statement. I'm going to read a little bit of it. And then I'm going to ask you to expand it or unpack it, Juliana, for two and a half, three minutes. Take your time. And then I will go to Julio and ask Julio to agree or disagree. And if you agree, Julio, just don't stop with I agree. And the show's over. <laughs> Add some thought leadership. We want to hear what your real point of view is. You can even change a number, she said. If something's 20%, you think it's 21%, tell us why. And then I'll bring Mike Orr in. And Mike, ask you to agree or disagree with either or both. So you get your pick of what you want to talk about. And then I'll go pick a statement from Julio. And he'll explain it. We'll go around the table. It would then be Mike and Juliana. And then I will pick a statement from Mike. And let's see how far we get. We have a lot of good content here. And I want to thank you all for great preparation for the show. So Juliana told me the following. She said, I think that we need to dig in with our leaders and understand what's really going on with them and why their sales numbers might be looking so bad. Seeing the data is good, but digging into it for understanding and the correct interpretation is needed. Very good point. Juliana, tell us more, please. Yeah, so I think as we look at what's going on around us and where the sales leaders and the sales organizations are at, you know, I think probably a lot of people have seen this with their customers or within their organizations. They're having to make a lot of changes very quickly. And um, I think there's also different industries. There's different areas and different countries. Everybody's kind of on their own track right now, especially during the pandemic and figuring out where, you know, where their sales are at, who they sell to, what it is that they're selling and if it's needed. And so, you know, I think looking at the data on the surface, especially during a time like this might not tell you what's actually happening. And that's why I think that, you know, that digging in and understanding and talking to the leaders, talking to the people that are on the ground, talking to their customers and finding out what's going on is going to help, you know, get people in the right direction or be able to enable somebody or be able to help coach them and get things back in track or make business decisions. And, you know, we saw a lot of companies turn really fast and we've saw companies, you know, still turning, right, with everything that's going on. And you can imagine the ones that turned really quickly started immediately with refining messaging in different industries and refining those talk tracks and and pushing down that messaging, you know, I've, we've worked with some large companies as well, and I've never seen such bad PowerPoints before you know, coming <laughs> because everybody was moving so quickly and trying to just help and, and get something out of like, how do we address this? Where do we start? How do I start talking to my customer in an area that was going, taking off and all of a sudden has just crashed. So I think, you know, there's a lot more that we need to do right now, especially to figure out where things are at and where our sales leaders are at so that we can go in and support and help. Uh, there, you know, 
just looking at data and showing up to somebody, I don't know that you're going to get the greatest responses from your sales leaders either. I, I'd feel pretty frustrated if that's what was being used um, in a conversation with me and somebody wasn't asking what we were actually seeing on the ground. Interesting. I, I was just giggling when you said you've never seen so many bad PowerPoints. I have a <laughs> true confession here. When I started working at a very big company, and we won't name it, but there's three letters, I was told by one of my first managers that I would never succeed in anything further in my career because I didn't know how to make really nice PowerPoint slides and that I needed to go back to remedial power. I'm not kidding. Remedial <laughs> PowerPoint school because I didn't use enough color contrast in the headings. Okay, and this was very important to my career and that I would never succeed. And here, here we are, <laughs> two, two million listeners a year, and nobody has asked me for a PowerPoint in a long, long time. So times have moved on. Talk about the numbers, right, Juliana? You, you got to see what's really going on. And I hate yeah. PowerPoint decks. Oh, well, let's leave it there. Julio, we'd love to have you comment, agree or disagree with Juliana. You're up, Julio. I, I definitely agree. Absolutely. Uh, I think we have to, uh, I mean, I've seen so many companies now doing the same things, going through the same training, delivering the same talk tracks, the same scripts, um, and hoping for success, right? Um, it's, it's unbelievable. So what I think, what Juliana said is I think we do really need to go back to basics at this point. Um, start talking to customers, um, ask them when you lose a deal, have a meeting with them and ask them why you lost that deal. Sometimes that's going to give you more valuable data than you have in your CRM system. Understanding what you could have did better or maybe it's an attribute in your product that you need that you can run it to your product team. But a lot of times that's where I find the majority of the best data sits rather than in your CRM where some of your sales reps are sandbagging their numbers or doing whatever it is they're doing uh, in the CRM system um, for sure. Uh, so I do think we, uh, we need to step back a little bit, start talking to our customers more and start following that 80-20 rule more, that Pareto principle again, where we're listening 80% of the time and not talking 80% of the time. And that's where we're going to learn from our customers. And we're going to truly learn how the best approach is in this time of COVID and even post-COVID about how to approach our customers, what their needs are, um, and how the best way we can serve them. Um, as a salesperson. And I think that's what we have to remember is we really are serving our customers. We're not sellers, we're partners, we're servers. And without knowing and without talking to them and letting them speak more and without gathering that intel, even when we lose a deal, then we're not mm -hmm. going to move forward as an organization. So I totally agree with Juliana for sure. Thank you, Julio. All good points. And I just want to clarify something. This is a pet peeve of mine. We talk about customers, customers, customers. And when you lose a deal, they're, they're still a prospect. Can you learn from your prospects? Is that part of the, the concept of I'm talking to a person who has not yet given me money for something I'm selling, a service or a product, and you can learn and get feedback from how well you do in those deals you're trying to make in terms of how well was your pitch or how well, how good was your authenticity? Julio, you just want to comment on that briefly? before I bring Mike in? Yeah, I think at every step of the process, you should be looking for feedback, um, not just at the end of the loop, but literally at every single point, which is why, I mean, I always recommend following up a meeting with a nice email, restating everything, making sure everybody's sure that, you know, we both understood what was said in the conversation, but also what could I have done better? 
Um, is there anything that I missed? And those are the types of things that you can work into every single step of the process that gives you that feedback that ultimately can help you improve after you have a first call, maybe not after you lose a deal. So you still have that chance to bring it back and bring it home. So much with the 39 tries of getting his first book published, said Zig Ziglar. Thank you very much. Mike Ora, we'd love to get your comments. A lot of good thoughts on the table. Can't wait to hear your thought leadership. Mike, join me, please. Sure. It's, it, I, I think really larger scale, it's really an inflection point for sales right now where um, we don't need management. We need leadership, uh, not just in how we approach sales and how we educate and coach our, our salespeople, but also um, the investments that we're making in, uh, in technology and platforms uh, that are going to, I think it's going to be a very different world in 12 months where the leaders are going to separate pretty heavily from the, the ones that are just sort of scrambling to keep up. And we need to recognize that's an opportunity right now. So we've seen that shift happen. There was a bit of a scramble early, but now people are looking, how am I making this? Uh, how am I going to enable my salespeople in the long run to be well-educated, to be able to think creatively about how they present and communicate and how do they connect with their, with their buyers and current customers um, there, and there's little things in that where it's not uh, necessarily just the salesperson that lost the deal that Julia was talking about that needs to find out why and what happened. That needs to be shared across that, that team, the other people that are you know, communicating with, with prospects and buyers in, in uh, similar situations to understand where, what resonated, what didn't resonate, what were the false steps, what could we have done differently. Um, I think that's where the big opportunity is to... Uh, to move the the whole industry forward, really, a whole the whole practice of of sales and, and relationship management needs to move forward, and it needs to be driven by a willingness to uh, continue to invest in your people and to give them the tools they need to um, you know not necessarily make their number this quarter, but to make their numbers next year and the years after that, and to really to really separate from the pack and stand out from from their competition because the ones that are doing it. And we're seeing it at large scale enterprises. They're investing in understanding that it's part of the customer experience, right? And especially with the whole move to digital and that being accelerated over the last six months, now is the time to figure out what do you want your entire customer experience to look like? What are the improvements you can make? And I think it really starts at sales because that's your, you know, your first uh, moment of truth with your with your customers. It's where you can generate insights and really understand them. And you can carry that through their whole, um, not just until they purchase the product, but their service side as well and carry that through the entire experience. And I think um, the ones that are, are, are thinking too short term of, you know, trying to deal with this dramatic impact um, are, are going to miss out on the opportunity to really um, to, to create the next generation, the next um, the next level of customer experience is going to that's going to be the differentiator, I think, in the future. It's not going to be about the the technology functions and the you know um, the specific uh, things that that platform can do or or whatever you're selling. Um, that you need to understand that, but it's really how do you how do you build trust over the long run? And that's not a simple thing to do. Uh, that takes a lot of education. It takes a lot of understanding your industry, your customers, who, what, how they're buying products similar to yours, what their whole ecosystem is, working with partners um, to understand how they're thinking about 
structuring uh, their, their offering, how they're benefiting your clients. Um, it's an exciting time. I think that um, if, you, if you view it from that point of this being a real moment of change in sales, there is uh, nothing but opportunity really to go forward. And you just need to stop focusing on necessarily managing the most efficient way to deliver your, your next quarter results and thinking about long-term, what are the capabilities that we're building in the organization? Think about strategically and really lead. Thank you, Mike. You said so so many impactful things. And early on when you started to speak, a BG song came to mind. Forgive me, but I'm hearing in my head, staying alive, staying alive. You try was that BG's right from Saturday Night Fever? I'm trying okay. to I'm thinking, thank you. I'm thinking of you're saying just just keep going, right? Just do it and and it's not about right now, it's about long term. It's about the long term experience. And I appreciated what you said about it's the even post sales experience. Experience. It's it's an end to end. It's it should be a living thing dealing with a pro, from a prospect through a happy customer and client. Juliana, this was your discussion statement. You started this thread. Anything you want to say back to either or Mike or Julio? Juliana? Yeah, I appreciate that. As they were talking, you know, something else that I think is important and we've kind of touched on a bit is that the you know what I've I've heard a lot from other companies is that um, the pandemic has an end which is kind of interesting to think about versus an economic downturn or something else that we may go through. And so those companies that can weather through, and I think Mike, you were touching on this, it's really about all of the customer experience right now that the customer is going through with your company of probably where they're gonna spend their money when they get more budget and more resources as the economy starts mm-hmm. to pick back up and people start to get out and people start to do things. And so I think a lot of you know, what we see right now is how do we help our leaders coach their people through this moment of you might not need to sell something today, but you might be just laying that foundation so that when things turn around and budgets start opening back up, they come to you because they remember you. And that's, I think those are those small moments of of building trust, right? We talk about building trust, but it's really these little moments in time and how you react to them and what you do with your customer and how you treat them that's going to resonate long-term. Interesting. And Juliana, I'm thinking of, of something I said to a manager in a company I was working for as a marketing director mm-hmm. many years ago in a bank in New York. And we were talking about paper advertising, actually print advertising. And he said, well, why don't you get us this, this uh, top of fold in this trade magazine and we'll take one or two. And I said to him, it's about top of mind. We weren't using the trust word back then. Top mm-hmm. of mind. I said, when somebody's ready, you know, it's a magazine ad. When somebody's ready to think about what we are offering, you want them to think of our company first. We have to be yeah. the top of mind, literally top of the fold in the brain that says, hey, such and such bank, that's the one. I saw that ad. I re- you can't just do it once because they'll turn the page and you're gone. But twice you buy a six pack of ads, right? You, you're in every other month in that magazine and that offering. And people start to say, I, I remember seeing that they offer XYZ. So it's a, an entirely different era, but it's I'm having a lot of memory. Totally so, I know I'm giving you lots of flash you certainly are. And, and the staying alive was a delightful one, too. Julio, we're going to move on. And Julio, I'm looking at your statement number one. Interesting here. Let me read a little bit and then I'll ask you to expand it. Then we'll go around the table. It'll be Mike and then Juliana. So Julio told me the following. He said, ABM selling, and you'll explain that, is quickly share, shifting from sharing marketing content to social engagement, posting 
third-party content, engaging with other people's content, and figuring out what's actually resonating, you can make an evolutionary process where your actions, the feedback you get, what people care about, that helps define you, divine, and what they need. Julio, a lot of good stuff in here. Unpack it for me, please. Julio. Yeah, I, I think um, both our other panelists will have a lot to chip in on this as well, um, since we're going the, down this road. And just as you mentioned, Bonnie, you want to be in that what we call evoked set, right? We want to be top of mind whenever anybody's thinking about us. And whether they have budget or not, um, during the time, you know, that we're experiencing, whether this is short term or long term, we have to be that evoke set, we have to be top of mind. And the idea is building relationships, right throughout the entire process. So take this opportunity, while you're working on an account to move from just a vendor into a trusted advisor status. And you do that by engaging with them right by truly building trust by not only pushing your own marketing material two years ago when i was on this show i probably would have told you marketing gives you the content you take it and you fly it flow it out there and you're an extension you're an amplification of your marketing team that's no longer the case people don't want to see you as an amplification of your marketing team they want to see you as a human being as a real person as someone they can trust somebody who has value who can provide value and who can share content that is going to be applicable to them so that you can actually build a relationship and i think that's what has been lacking in sales for a long time and i think that's what people have been doing wrong when they're taking an account-based marketing strategy and when they think social selling um, i don't think they're thinking social engagement where you're actually mm -hmm. learning about the customer talking to the customer in the way that they like and you have such a big buying sphere in some of these large companies that you have to be uh, taking a differentiated approach to each and every person learning what do they like what do they like to truly build a relationship with them and that's a difficult thing to do and there's a number of tools out there i think mike can speak to this juliana can speak to this that can help us get content to figure out how can i truly build the relationship with this person and especially post cycle we want to make sure that we build that relationship because what I found as a salesperson is even if you make a sale, you still need to put a fence up so that nobody else comes and eats your lunch afterwards. <laughs> and I think that's, that's what it's about too, because I think it's about five times more costly to acquire a new customer than it is to keep a new one. So by building a relationship, consistently sharing content with them, personalizing your engagements with everybody, not just blasting out marketing material is what's going to give you that advantage and what's going to put that fence up that allows you to keep your customers and doesn't allow somebody to come in and take that lunch from you and run with it. And there you're, you're, you're done. Julio, I've never heard anybody say it exactly that way. Build a fence around and don't let anybody take your look. I have never heard it put exact. We don't talk about that part of it when we talk about selling is protect your investment in that mm -hmm. sale. Protect what you worked very hard and where you established the trust and don't let somebody mm -hmm. else's top of fold above the fold ad take over what you work very hard and keep growing the relationship very well put that those were picture words julio thank you mike Orr. we'd love to get your thoughts agree or disagree i think i know where you're going to go with this mike talk to me 
I do usually agree with Julio. He's uh, <laughs> we, we're very simpatico on these these topics. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take and try and put a little spin on it. Um, in that, uh, Julio mentioned uh, amplification and thinking about you know your employees and your salespeople, and I think it ties back to the script idea as well as being a amplification of your message. And really, what we need to change is the view that they should be an embodiment of your brand, right? So those individual salespeople need to represent your brand, but you need to recognize that's not the only part of their personal brand. It's a, it's an important part, but they need to be, you need to humanize the relationship. They need to be authentic. They need to be their, you know, entire self and really build and take that message and, and make it their own. Um, and that's, I think, a fundamental shift in the way we view, especially marketing, where marketing needs to think about how do they enable sales instead of how do they, you know, build a new relationship, stay top of mind at a very at a brand level and tell stories that really communicate the value of the company, the values of the company that the salespeople can take in and embody and then adapt those core materials. They still, you know, need to create scripts. They need to create marketing collateral and sales collateral and all that sort of stuff. But it's how you take that, listen to the other side to understand what their challenges are and assemble your communication and your message so that it's personalized. And and it doesn't always have to be about your stuff, right? It can also be, Hmm. as Julio said, trends in the industry. You need to be, to be a trusted advisor. You need to know your client's business better than they do. Um, which was, I think, a great quote from David Meister, who, was, uh, who wrote a lot about professional services. Uh, that was his sort of aspirational level was, could you get to the point where you knew your client's be- business better than they did? And that requires asking a lot of questions, listening, engaging in all the digital form- formats that you have, and not limiting yourself to, um, to what the marketing and brand communication is, um, but elevating that with third-party content with personalization, with the way that you communicate it individually with each in, within each relationship. And I think that's really how you deliver account-based marketing, um, especially at the, the really high value accounts, because there's so much complexity and, and so much trust that's needed, right? A lot of these, if you're getting into account-based marketing, it's not a transactional relationship. It is very much, how do I establish a long-term relationship with a very key account <clears throat> where they're partnering with you? And the most successful relationships that we have as a company and that I've seen out there is where both the vendor and the buyer treat it as a partnership that they're building for the long term. Um, which I think is as, as an engineer that just lets you freeze you up to solve problems, which is the most exciting thing for me. So that's, that's the goal I think of sales these days is to become that advisor to their clients, to educate them, to build that trust that carries through the entire experience. Thank you, Mike. You used the E word. You said exciting. It's about time we heard that word. Thank you very much. It sounds like work, work, work. And you said it's exciting. And that's a good thing. Juliana, I'd love to get your thoughts on this topic that Julio started and Mike very nicely enhanced. Go ahead, Juliana. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to take maybe a little bit of a different angle. And what I'm seeing is um, that the you know, the the millennials that are becoming more of our buyers, right, and making buying decisions. And the younger generations aren't interested in just somebody pushing their company and their product and their wares. Um, They want to know more about everything and they want to see the uniqueness and they also want to see you supporting others. And and so that's a very different um, kind of buyer mindset than we've had in maybe ever. I don't know, but I haven't been alive probably long enough to say that. So, you know, since I've been alive 
And, and so I think from that perspective, and uh, Julio talked about this in the beginning of you post something, but they want to see you supporting other things. Like what else do you care about? Who else are you going to like kind of push up? And I think there's a lot more of that rising tides lifts all boats, you know, mentality mm-hmm. with this generation that's out there and becoming more and more the predominant buying generation. And so I think that's definitely a different twist off of it isn't any longer just about you and your company and your message and what you can do. It's really about what are we all doing together? There's a little bit more of this, you know, how do we support and uh, share other people's things? The other thing is that, you know, when you support and share and like and comment other people's things, you break algorithms and the technology, (laughs) it gets you, you know, gets you more eyes, it gets you more notice. And so, you know, you can't just push your own things anymore and, you know, and get the eyeballs on it that you want to get on it. And so that's an interesting twist, I think, as well, from a technology perspective to think about is that it's really being built to um, have a a wider viewing, which um, I know back when it all kind of first started with AI, I was a little bit nervous about getting fed Mm -hmm. things that it would, that I would like. So I would sign up for all these things that I wouldn't normally sign up for in order to get fed, (laughs) you know, things across many different areas and spectrums, because I I was worried about like missing out on something. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I think that's a lot of what we're seeing with the ties between the marketing and to the sales is, um, it's way more complex than it has been before. It's a very different mindset. I think it's very fascinating. And I think it's uh, kind of completely amazing as well that there's also a do good aspect to it that uh, our buyers are expecting. Very interesting. So we had the introduction of the term FOMO, fear of missing <laughs> out, which is something you see a lot these days. And I just want to reflect on what we're talking about, about the the third party content, Julia, Julio, uh, the idea that you would just say, oh, here's a great article I found for you and not read it and not find what I call that nugget that might be very interesting to the person to whom you're sending it. It's I saw this and I thought of you because and look into it and see what is there. What I have to do that on these roundtables sometimes where we've already discussed something, but I'll find that one little piece in a statement that is really, really interesting that we didn't go into that I think the audience would love to know about. It's taking the time and not just passing, talking about just script. Oh, I found five articles today. I'm sending to you. It's like, why are you wasting my time? Why should I read this article? Thank you for nothing. Thank you for jamming my inbox. Thank you for jamming my LinkedIn feed. You really want to to make that relationship and you want to be perceived as real, but caring. Take the time. I'm just, I'm pontificating here, but I think that's what we're all trying to say. Julio, thank you for that. I'm looking at the clock. I want to make sure we squeeze in one more. Mike Orr has a statement here, and I think we had a good segue into this from what what I think what Juliana just said. Mike, your statement number two. This is I don't think I've heard anybody ever say this, Mike. We're breaking more ground here. You say while it's hard to sell software, it's really hard to buy software. I don't think I've ever heard anybody admit that. The best salespeople understand that sales enablement is part of their job. They need to not only educate their buyers to sell internally, 
Very interesting. So what is the landscape in a company? We used to call this the banner waiver or the flag waiver. You had to find that person within the company who would take up the cause. Yes, we need to buy XYZ, whether it's a new computer or whether it's a, it's a server farm or whether it's a piece of software or it's a whole new system. You need to find the person who will go into the company, their company and say, I think we need this because, and wave that flag for what you're trying to sell. So Mike Orr, you're up with this one. Let's hear what you have to say, please. It, it was a, a learning for me uh, that yeah. uh, uh, after spending so many years uh, selling in, into, uh, into big companies, uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize it until, I was, it was actually just earlier this year when I was talking one, to one of our clients and they told me the story about how that we had presented, but when the decision, the committee was all excited. And then they spent three months selling that decision up the line um, to get the project finally approved to move forward. It was a heroic effort. And, and even in the amount of uh, process that they have to go through, the change management, it is, uh, I think, an important starting point of empathy to realize <clears throat> if you think your job is hard, try and affect change in these big organizations, right? That is a, a monumental task and something where, again, trust is so important because they can't put themselves out there until you, they know you're going to be there and have their back. Um, and so that, I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth mentioning, it's worth stating. And I think you're exactly right. Juliana had a great uh, a segue into this where she said that so many of these buyers now are, are more millennials. They're, they're trying to figure out how do they succeed, right? And how do they make their mark and how do they impact? And that may be, um, you know, so have an, uh, a sort of conscientious uh, dimension to it. It's also a career. It's also, are they going to look bad? You know, if they aren't able to present this on their own to their constituents, to their boss, to their boss's boss, as these things go up the chain. So we've, we've got, we've had a big focus, I think on uh, for the last few years on sales enablement, where we're thinking about, how do we enable our, how do we educate our salespeople to go out and, and talk to customers and, and buyers? But I think we need to extend that now to say, how do we train them to become sales enablement experts? Because really the selling is going to go on inside that organization and they need to be able to provide the right content, to have the right relationships, to coach their clients on how to, I know, communicate the value and have the deal with objections and like all those, all those sort of things. And you can't start from a formula to do that. You need to be able to provide. And that's, that's, I think what the exciting thing is right now is that the technology that, you know, Julia was talking about provides the foundation. So you don't have to spend, uh, you know, 10 hours putting together a PowerPoint deck, which <laughs> Bonnie apparently was, was, was never quite made it on that side, but, um, you can you can assemble that, and it and there's a, that's where the intelligence and the automation and all that comes in. It cuts out all that uh, all that work that used to take you know hours to go find the right content or, or, or adapt it. Um, and we still fall down sometimes with that, but that technology can now el eliminate all that work. And instead of just it, it never eliminates salespeople, it elevates their ability to now extend their ability to educate right and actually communicate and build relationships. And I'll, I'll say it again. I think that's, that's super exciting. And if you view it with that mindset, there is a huge opportunity to change the way that you engage with buyers. Thank you. Mike, my, my PowerPoint decks were fine. They just weren't the pretty colors she wanted. She didn't like the pastels I picked for the headers. That you was weren't the on brand? 
she well we have we had a very strict palette and you could only use i had to go to bat with the with the brand police at this company that won't be named i had to go to bat for videos i was making i was producing where they wouldn't allow me to use a secondary color palette in the videos they fought me tooth and nail i had to actually go to the top of the brand police so i was running a so my decks were pretty they just didn't have the pastel headers that she well let's just leave that one on the table juliana whether you know it or not you're sitting next to mike virtually around the table <laughs> we're almost at the crystal ball predictions but this is too important to not spend time on it so let's not worry about the clock juliana thoughts about the need to educate the prospect the customer the client to sell the concept inside their company because you're right mike made such a good point it can take months to get it sold up the chain and that's what i was going with when i talked about we used to call it the flag waver or the banner carrier who is the yeah. right one in that company who believes in what you're trying to do with them or for them juliana talk please yeah well so ironically this is a lot of work that we do is like arming the internal people with what they need to be able to sell it up you know up through the organization but I think what really resonated with me when Mike was talking, and I think this is something that sales leaders can help their sellers with, and again, is not a script because every, you know, it's interesting. Everybody says, oh, every company is different and every company is the same. And I do believe every company is different because the culture in the company is different. Um, what they're doing might be the same as other companies, but how they do it and how they go about it is always different. And so when you're going through and you're trying to do this, I think, what has been helpful for me as owning a business and also within clients is helping to define the requirements of why we need such a thing mm -hmm. and to understand specifically what they are for us makes like all the difference in the world. And, you know, whenever we've been in companies and somebody's saying, these are the top four technologies we're looking at. And, and I've had a client come to me and say, which one would you recommend for us? And I said, well, can I see the requirements that were gathered? So I can understand what it's going to do. And uh, he goes back and he's like, there are no requirements gathered. And I'm like, well, then, I mean, like shot in the dark, pick any of them. <laughs> They're all pretty good, <laughs> you know, and that's not very helpful. Uh, and so, and it takes work to gather the requirements. And it's not always the most glamorous work to go and gather requirements and understand and be able to explain it. But when you're, you know, feeding that back up the chain, it's the, why would I invest in this? And that's what you're giving them, right? And you're explaining to them what it's going to do, why it works for you, and how it's going to uh, make the change that you're looking for. And if you can't do those things, you know, just keep going back to the drawing board. And that's the same for both internal and for the salesperson. If you can't explain how this company is specifically going to be using it, um, you know, keep working, keep going. Yes. What's the why? Julio, I'm saving a little bit of time for you to comment on this, and then we're going to go back to Juliana and quickly do our predictions. Julio, what do you think? Yeah, so I wanted to tie up a couple things um, that we talked about. Number one, um, from Juliana's side about the new buyers. I totally agree with that. And from your side, Bonnie, is like sending people content that they don't. What's the nugget? What's for yeah. them? Right. So to tie those two things together, I like to do something called the three by three. So before I communicate with anybody, I spend three minutes on their LinkedIn profile to pull three nuggets of information mm. that I can relate to in less than three minutes. That's my rule. So I don't spend too much time. And that way I can go out and find the content that actually aligns with those nuggets um, that I found on their LinkedIn or through various research. And that way I can provide them the right information. 
um, that they're going to actually see the value in it, which a lot of people I don't think take the time to do. And the second part of that, I think, is people misunderestimate the idea of there's 10K reports and annual reports out there and using those as a valuable sales tool to help younger folks and organizations make buying decisions is important. To go through a 10K and actually educate people about, hey, maybe you didn't know this, but this is actually your core goal set by your CEO for your company this year. This is what you're trying to do. This is where you're going to expand. These are your competitors. These are who's eating your lunch. I don't know if you know this, but I want to educate you about this. So using that 10K or annual report as a tool is a great way to show the need for a particular product or software and give the talking points to be able to sell that up the organizational chart to the right people. So I think that is um, something that I just wanted to add on um, to, to kind of formulate my uh, point out of uh, Juliana's uh, conversation as, as Mike's. Thank you. Terrific. Guess what? We are almost out of time. I want to make sure we get at least a 30 second prediction from each of you. All, I can't thank the three of you enough. Wonderful, wonderful information. Mike, an exciting conversation. I'm glad you introduced that. Where's my new favorite word now? Digital selling. Exciting. Juliana, 30 seconds predictions. Go. Uh, I think, you know, kind of hinges what I said earlier, we're coming out of some sort of pandemic and things are going to be different and you need to be ready. So um, that's maybe not a, a great prediction versus, you know, a call to don't sit back and watch this happen, this time happen, be engaged with it so that you come out on top. Thank you. Julio Viscovich, you're up. Predictions. What do you see? I'm going to sort of sort of echo what we've been talking about a little bit and really just put the focus on relationship selling. Um, I think now more than ever, especially with maybe budget contractions coming in, um, who knows what's going to happen, but I think there's going to be a much more focus on the relationship part of things. So um, sus I suspect ABM and any type of selling, no matter what you're working on, it's going to be focused on relationships. And I think people need to really learn how to do that. Um, and salespeople need to be retrained on how to truly build value added relationships um, and partnerships and not just be that vendor who is selling, selling, selling. Don't just be that vendor. Mike Orr, you wrap it up. What's your prediction? So I think there's, there's two things. One is that that uh, idea that sales and sales enablement and a lot of that sales technology is now going to be inclusive of the customer. And I think, you know, even bringing the customer into the systems and the process that the sales team has is going to be an interesting thing. And then finally, digital selling, the reason I'm excited about it, I think it's a leading edge of really the digital customer experience. And that customer experience and the way it's managed, right now we're seeing point solutions, but those are all going to come together. And I think that's going to change the way that buyers buy and that the customers deliver their services over time. Thank you. Thank you all. Sorry for the hurry, but we were just having a good conversation and predictions. Well, predictions are predictions. Thank you to AJ Arif Johari at SAP for putting together this very excellent panel and wonderful conversational topic. We love the header of the topic, Lazy Leaders Use Scripts, not after listening to today's show. Thank you to Kirsten Boyleau for sponsoring Juliana. Julia's waving. Julia's waving. Yes, yes, yes. Smiling. Uh, thank you to sponsor Kirsten Boyleau for having faith in the Game Changers show concept and for bringing the show back. 
back year after year. Thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at Voice America, the business channel, World Talk Radio. He told me he's my sidekick now. So yay to my sidekick, Aaron. And I have one thing to say to my call to action for my panelists and our listeners around the world. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting three months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Juliana Stan Campiano at Oxygen. So happy to see you again for the first time on Zoom, Juliana. Thank you to Julio Viscovich at Next Level Sales. So, so happy to see you and your beautiful hair, Julio. I have to tell you that. And Mike Orr, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate the three of you. Everybody be safe, be smart, be savvy, be happy, and stay well. Wave goodbye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.